Hello, good evening, and welcome. I'm Simon Bestwick. And I'm Gemma Files, and this is No Darkness, no darkness But Ours. I five through the screen to yes. England. From Canada to England. <laughs> across the ocean, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, so here we, here we are again. Um, yes. Uh, having having uh, at least one episode under our belts, our mutual belt, I guess. Uh, it's like one long belt. Belts across the ocean now. So that's that's it. it. Yeah. Circumnavigating the globe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Circumcising the globe with a with an 11 foot flipper. So having at least one episode under our mutual belt, um, we are moving on to episode number two and uh the topic that we chose for this week is mr james yep and montague rhodes james and his his influence and uh which is a big his imitators i mean that's a big it's a it's a big and fruitful topic i think as in like the one we picked last week is one of these things where by the time we'll get to the end of it we'll probably think of a dozen authors or i or things that we could have uh, been been discussing and you know it, it, there will always be be more but that's always a good absolutely um thing. i do think that you know uh, i was uh, answering uh, a few questions today um because i'm going to be going to necronomicon uh in august and they wanted me to do a little mini interview for uh the the memento book um and um one of the questions was you know what was your entree into weird fiction weird as in lovecraftian fiction and um i had to think about it because uh although obviously i'd come across some lovecraft um earlier in my life uh by the time i actually started writing lovecraftian fiction i i kind of had to take a crash course because I was far more um, I, I was far more uh, familiar with people who had been um, influenced by Lovecraft than I was with Lovecraft yeah. himself. Yeah. T.E.D. Um, T. Klein, um, you know, uh, or even uh, even, you know, Stephen King, uh, some of his yeah. early stuff, like, yeah, for example, the, uh, the story Jerusalem's Lot. Yeah, <laughs> which was um, recently made into a really, really nice um, TV miniseries, okay. uh, which manages to be about vampires and Lovecraftian at the same time. Okay, okay, yeah. that's, that's um, cool. Chapelweight. It was made into this uh, TV miniseries called Chapelweight with Adrian <laughs> Brody. And um, okay. yeah, at one point... Uh, <laughs> Christopher Heyerdahl, who's this uh, very familiar uh, looking guy, if, if you know anything about Canadian film, um, because he is this gigantic dude, this gigantic bald dude, um, who pretty much looks like, uh, I don't know, a cross between Max Schreck and Christopher Lee. Okay. Um, and, <laughs> <really> cool. <laughs> and he's always playing vampires and ghouls and zombies and, you know, whatever the hell. Um, and so he, he shows up in Chapel Wade as uh, Jacob, who is like the head vampire, uh, leads this weird little Mansonite crew of uh, 
you know, aspiring vampires and actual vampires, uh, a whole bunch of Renfields who are, you know, allowing themselves to be preyed on. Um, but uh, he also, they, they also, uh, they worship the worm, the god of the worm. And they're, you know, <laughs> like looking to, you know, make the sun go out and uh, eternal night descend in a very cosmic horror Lovecraftian way. Um, and and, you can see why they'd want the, the eternal night to descend, is it? Yeah, exactly. They're vampires. But uh, yeah, he uh, there's this wonderful moment where he, you know, gets a hold of the book that they've all been looking for, which is, of course, De Vermis Mysterious. <laughs> of course. And um, and he begins to read out of it, but he's not reading. He's actually singing and hired all because he, you know, comes from like a Scandinavian background. I don't think he has an actual accent like that in real life but you know uh so he starts doing this thing that sounds kind of like scandinavian plain song but it's all stuff like i'm gonna see if i can find uh yeah. and find that um you absolutely should um yeah very very well done um, just a mounting sense of dread, which is always what I like. A mounting sense of dread, and I'm happy. Oh, yes. I mean, I'm actually realizing I came to, to discover James's work really comparatively late in the day. Um, mm -hmm. I, think I'd, I think I had read um, Lost Hearts in an anthology of ghost stories when I was, when I was quite young, but without realizing that's who, uh, that's who it was by or who. My first yeah. one was Lost Hearts, too. It's um it's interesting because did a sequel? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean my, my first MR James was Lost Hearts as well. Yeah. Um I think it's something that they put in a lot of things for kids or I, I don't know, like tweens maybe, because yeah. the main character is a kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which isn't that common in James's stuff with the possible exception of Wailing Well. Yes, which absolutely. Is, um, which is not what I would start with because it's uh, it's kind of considerably more funny than you yeah. <laughs> than you grow to expect. Yeah, um, until the sort of the climax when you see it's kind of like, oh, no, he's absolutely. Uh, that's that's really bad. That's that's terrible. Um, yeah, my view. Sort of we had about the humor though in that story because it is quite an an an, an, an ominous, slightly menacing humor because of how. You know, there's that whole black humor of the, you know, the 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 life saving competition, and the teachers are upset because all these kids have, uh, not so much because the kids have drowned, but because they've lost some of the best sopranos in the choir, and the, the parents aren't the parents are, aren't happy with the form letters that they're being that they're being sent and stuff and yeah, stuff like it's, that. It's, 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 it's like a, yeah, I mean, it is very much um, like the inverse of a school story. It's like uh, a story you tell to school kids. To make them to make them laugh, but also to eventually make their flesh creep. Oh yeah, old Dickensian yeah. sense. Um, I just want to make your flesh creep. You know, <laughs> but but, that recognition of the power that the teachers kind of have over is you is, is that child. I think, of course, again, this was a boarding school, which is something mm -hmm. that um, you know is something outside my experience. I presume outside yours as well. Um, you know, you're sort of awaiting Thankfully. your back. In that very, um, I mean, my my sister lives in New Zealand, and my her daughter, uh, my my eldest 
uh, nibbling uh, her, her, her daughter's going to is now at a boarding school because basically she has to be I think that's the nearest kind of school she can get to right uh, she has to live there but of course I think it's a very different thing and of course there's stuff like Skype the, the English boarding school has that you know it's notorious for its kind of you know very very repressed kind of Englishness um, <laughs> when I when I was uh, in middle school I read a whole bunch of Enid Blyton school books back Whoa. to back you know uh, which are all, all about how wonderful it is to go to a girls boarding school and as far as I could tell it was the it was supposed to be wonderful because uh you get the crap kicked out of you socially I mean you know nobody actually got beaten but it was all like you know and you have to be my servant and you you might you must curb your you know um yeah you know you you have to you have to curb your bad habits you know Stop like uh, your, your ambition or your you know uh wanting to get really good marks but only in one thing or your you know lack of enthusiasm for being at a fucking english boarding school there would have been an outbreak of deaths by poisoning i suspect if you if you'd actually had to go to one of those places <laughs> uh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Killer be killed. <laughs> killer yeah. kill yourself. Um, yes, no, I shouldn't say things like that. <laughs> but it might have. Yeah. That might it can be very dull. It can be a very, I mean, it's easy to, I mean, there's that Ray Bradbury, do you know the Ray Bradbury story, The Playground? Um, mm -hmm. about the, yeah, the father who ultimately really, you know, he's, 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 you know, he's so appalled by the prospects of his beloved little, little son, who's very, a very sort of, delicate very gentle child being put into the kind of the darwinian mm. melee of a of a <laughs> playground he ultimately he ultimately changes places with them with yes. them. He, he and you know he, he's the last lines of this is hell this is hell and no one in that hot milling heap contradicted him you know <laughs> you can you kind of wonder how many of these these little monsters are all uh, you know <laughs> people doing the same thing with their kids yeah um, no it's true yeah um, um it's, I, I mean i guess i think i was because I, I I was lucky, I was fairly precocious in, in my reading, uh, for the most part. I mean, my, I think I've said this before. My grandfather had a huge, thick oh, 1929 anthology of a uh, horror. So there was um there was Blackwood, there was Bierce, there was uh, Poe. I read mm -hmm. the Mask of the Red Death. I think when I was about seven or eight. Uh, <laughs> hell of a hell of a hell of an introduction. But oh, yeah. weirdly, weirdly, there was no M R James in there. Uh, no Lovecraft either. I didn't yeah. discover until I was in secondary school there was a copy of The Haunted of the Dark in um, the uh, in the library and I, I, I knew of, Love, of Lovecraft mainly by reputation then I don't think it made that big an impression on me maybe, maybe because I was you know Lovecraft was a writer who made a, 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 a virtue out of his shortcomings like his you know weakness when it came to characterization and, yeah. and dialogue in, in the normal sense um, so I don't know if it I, although I do, I did, of course, enjoy the rats in the walls, um, especially when it gets to the end and that kind of long, you know, that his speech is devolving into blah, blah, blah. That is what they tell me I was saying when they found it. And it's like, yeah. ha, ha, yeah, you just imagine somebody that's like, there's somebody there with an open. So how do you spell blah? <laughs> I, I think actually the rats in the walls might have been the one that made the most impression on me oh, back God, when. Yeah. Because really I, I had two collections. One was collected Lovecraft and the other one was um, collected Arthur Machen. And 
I ended up liking Machen a lot better than I did Lovecraft. Yeah. Um, Machen, Macon. I, I don't know which one is right. I think it's Macon. It's, it's certainly pronounced as Macon in the fog because, of course, they have John Houseman's little cameo as Mr. Macon. That's who, right, uh, yeah. Ghost stories. But most, certainly in the UK, most, when I, been, when other people have been hearing other people discuss it, they tend to say it as Macken. I don't know if this is an American thing or mm. a North American thing, you know, Macken, Macken. I, or if I, I have no idea. There's probably, Google is probably our friend here. We'd probably be able to maybe find Quite, quite probably. Um, I will note that the Weird Studies podcast, which I would recommend to anybody, um, they refer to him as Macken. And they've had, uh, I think, about three different episodes that. Um, address various issues in Macon's, you know, sort of yeah. numinous philosophy slash, you know, theory of the supernatural, you know, the, the idea of, uh, uh, the idea, for example, of um, evil being a, a sort of um, ecstasy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, um, you know, yeah. that, that there is very different, very little difference between sinners and saints. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's sort of the na his nature of his conception of what sin is actually what actually constitutes sin, which yeah. is very much at odds with with the humanistic sort yeah. of yeah uh, yeah. As far as I can tell, it it really seems to be like you know to go against nature, to go against yeah. um, you know to to be like yes, I I'm gonna have my cat talk. I'm gonna yes. make a rose that sings. Yeah, that <laughs> I a rose am going to sing. Yeah, I mean which. I mean, this is profoundly, profoundly <laughs> reactionary um, uh, sort of view, because of course it's the it's the time honoured kind of um, almost the mantra. Whenever whenever anyone has tried to like, whether it be it abolishing slavery or, or whatever, or votes for women, you know, there is a natural. It's the if you, if you've seen the film of um, uh, Cloud Atlas, That's you know right. Hugo Hugo Weaving's character is always is always appears as the kind of the the personification of you know sort there of. There is a natural order to things. And those who try to append it do not fare well. Yeah, yeah and we, no, all, of course not. we all hear that. Uh, we, all, we, we all hear that claim made in one in one form or another. But of course, it all depends. But I mean, yeah, of course, the, yeah. the, when he talks about the dog talking, I mean, of course, I read, by the time I read that bit, I'd been quite used to reading books by Jonathan Carroll, which are full of talking dogs. And the talking oh, dogs yeah. are really cool. <laughs> you know, what's wrong with a dog talking yeah, to prob me? Probably a rose or two singing, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can never get over the fact that Carol once wrote a, uh, a story in which the main character turns out to be death. You know, it's like your narrator. Yes. You know, it's like, and, yeah, you know, you. And then, of course, I just did this and this and this because I'm death. There you go. <laughs> it's like, what? All right. So, yes. so that's what we're going to do, huh? Okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, again, uh, Macken and Carol are probably both worthy of a whole... A whole podcast of themselves. Oh, absolutely. No, yeah, Make It and Carol are definitely both, both, yeah, both worthy of that. Um, okay, so, so like I said, I approached uh, M. R. James more through people who had been influenced by M. R. James, and then eventually ended up, you know, falling headfirst into, <laughs> headfirst into a pile of haunted bedrolls, and. Um, <laughs> Suddenly going, oh my God, this guy's great. Yes. <laughs> this guy's amazing. Yes. Um, more than anything else, you know, when I was uh, when I was first reading horror, 
it was pretty much all ghost stories. Yeah. And what attracted me to James is that his stuff will seem very kind of soft and kind of stiff and kind of British and kind of, you know, let's face it, this is a guy who uh, enjoyed boarding school so much that he stayed there the rest of his life. (laughs) 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 Eventually ending up as, you know, a dean. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He definitely has that sort of... um... Uh, that kind of cloistered atmosphere. Um, yeah, very cloistered atmosphere. I mean, he's a guy who came out of, um, you know, a background which was very much Church of England and, you know, very much academic. And it's like, you go into the church, you go into academics. You know, he sort of did both again because he went into religious studies and, you know. Um, so very, a very cerebral, very sort of yeah. rationalistic kind of thing and then yeah yeah. and yet totally devout so already there's this there's this superstition there's this religiosity there's this sense of good and evil as just being parts of the world the two currents that are constantly around you always i I mean to the, the extent to which uh uh, some degree of uh, some degree of rationalism and a belief in God would necessarily be seen as, as you know, a kind of a contradiction. I don't know what the, the, if that would really would that have really been the case though for for someone of James's generation. No, he was he was. Uh, I mean, I I do think he was a pretty rational dude, um, but he was very much his his idea of religion came from the Middle Ages. Oh yeah, he was he was a medievalist. He was he he was an antiquarian. You know yeah. that's why. Ghost Stories of an Antiquarian was his first book. Um, And almost all his narrative characters, almost all his POV characters, tend to be versions of himself. So it's Mm. like a guy who is on, you know, taking a bicycle tour through Suffolk, you know, going to churches because he likes doing that and, you know, taking rubbings on gravestones and you know, it's like, oh, may I look through your church records? Oh, of course, yes, please come in. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, he, I mean, he'd off, he's often present in his stories as an. I mean, the warning, the yeah. warning, curious, is yeah. written very much as if. I mean, certainly, if, I don't know if you've, the BBC did a number of adaptations around two thousand with. Well, mm-hmm. it was basically Christopher Lee playing, uh, playing M. R. James, and basically reading his stories to yes because yeah, that's yeah. what what he wrote the stories to do um he would yeah. try to make sure that he always had a ghost story uh ready for christmas um and he would invite uh you know various younger dudes that he liked who were students um to come to his chambers and you know um drink cherry and you know make wry jokes and then hear a ghost story and you know i mean there's there's uh people go back and forth about whether uh james was gay and just super closeted uh certainly you know the certainly i think ef benson was pretty gay um and you know uh the the benson (laughs) brothers all had their own thing going on I was, I, was, I, was, I, know, I was going to ask if he wrote Morris, but that was Ian Forster. I keep getting that was Ian stuff. Forster. Yeah, 
Um, but, uh, you know, but the Benson brothers and, um, and James all knew each other. Um, and I think of the Benson brothers, at least one of them ended up going into the church. Um, and, uh, I mean, wasn't there, wasn't there a father like a bishop or something like that? <laughs> yeah. I'm it's, I honestly, I honestly can't remember. I, I really should have done a bit more research on yeah, some of no, these. Guys. Don't worry about it. But, you know, the point being that, um, I think that to him, I, I think that to James, and you certainly see that throughout his, throughout his stuff, there's, um, there's a certain, um, a certain homosocial, um, turn to it. He's comfortable with guys. He's not that comfortable with women. You know, women sort of appear in the background of things. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, right. people, people don't tend to have wives. People don't tend to have, you know, girlfriends or anything like that. You know, maybe like they live with an old aunt, you know, who, yeah. who sets out their stuff in the morning or whatever. Sister, um, like in um, the stalls of Barchester. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, but pretty much always it's a very, it's a very um, asexual, cloistered, yeah existence where your obsessions don't tend to be overtly sexual in any way and yet be we being who we are we being the the weird moist monkeys that we are um you know <laughs> stuff comes out in other ways you yeah. know and um <laughs> it's not quite as overt as say i don't know and munby's you know and then there was like a big hot bag a big hot hairy bag that um that suddenly attached itself to my face in the dark you know it's like oh i wonder what that's about it's <laughs> me so back to death, but, uh... you know? but um <laughs> but yeah you know he, he had a he had a certain obsession with um spiders mm. uh, a certain obsession with toads um reaching underneath things and finding finding mouths Surrounded by oh, hair. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Freud is just like hear Freud scribbling notes frantically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But what I really love about uh about James is that he manages to, you know, he will get you into this very palpable sense of this is normal, this is a normal person doing normal shit, you know, in a normal world where everything is perfectly normal, and then before you know it, a bolster falls out of a cupboard and uh, fastens its teeth in yeah. its neck. And <laughs> and James's, I mean, this is the thing, James's ghosts are, they, they, these are not sort of like, you know, filmy, diaphanous, you know. They really are not. Kind of shit. These, they are, they have a physicality to them and they, they're very rarely, they very rarely, rec or they're, they're very rarely recognizably human or they're barely human. They yeah, I, I really think they're a lot more like demons. Um, and, mm. uh, you know, I don't agree with everything that Mark Gatiss, you know, posits in his um, documentary on M.R. James. But uh, I do believe that if you look at the medieval um, manuscripts that he was examining throughout his life, you will see a lot of things which will remind you of mm. stuff from, you know, not just because, um, you know, really the, I, I think the, the first story he wrote and published was um, the, uh, the scrapbook of uh, Ken Albert. Albert's scrapbook. Um, and Ken and Albert's scrapbook literally is 
about a guy who finds a horrible drawing from a, yeah. from a medieval manuscript that somebody has cut out and stuck in a scrapbook. <laughs> and um, and and as he's looking at it and going, oh, that's horrible. Oh, that's that's it's so hairy and it's and its jaws so shallow and oh, those 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 hands like gigantic tarantulas and oh, it's very much like this thing that's right next to my head. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's that, 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 that there's that view. There is this, there's the, there's the the rationalistic, humanistic kind of world that James inhabited, and there's the medieval. But the medieval world, I mean, as as, as a very very simple level, the rush, uh, the the kind of the humanist world is basically the world. Is, reality consists solely in what we can perceive with our own five senses or with extensions of them, like scientific instruments. Uh, there is no, you know, there, 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 this this is it. This is yeah. all there is. Which is, I mean, and I can't remember who said this, but the fundamental concept of all religions, the, the root of all religions, is the idea there is more. This isn't all there is. There is more yes, than that. Yes, exactly. So and the medieval view, kind of the medieval vision of the world, this whole kind of cosmogony, where you've got it basically postulates this whole invisible world of spirits and you know, some. I mean, there's you know, the both when we wake and when we sleep. Yeah. 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 Um, invisible things all around us, and um, but also uh, if you look at ghost stories from the Middle Ages, a lot of them, are, you know, are very you know, possibly because of overlap from uh, Scandinavian influence, you know, um, the Anglo-Saxon influence and the Viking in influence. But there's there's this real sense that, you know, it's like if if you if you meet a dead guy on the road, you might have a wrestling match with him. You know, um, a demon might fall down on you and take you up into the air and then drop you on uh, a church. So that you, you know, get yeah. stuck on the spire, you know, who knows? It's like um, things are just as likely to beat the hell out of you as they are to frighten you and leave you to die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is just part, and these are just part of the world that that you exist in. Yeah. Uh, as um, whereas in in James, you know, James kind of builds this very very recognizable foursquare, very. Um, you know, very material, materialistic kind of concept of the world around you, and then something from this medieval, medieval yeah. landscape, which is yeah. essentially the, the kind of landscape that um, Arthur Macken implicitly believed we still existed in. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, you know, but I mean, to, to return to Lost Hearts, for example, and yeah. I do think that Lost Hearts is probably one of the best places to begin with with James um you know Lost Hearts uh our main character arrives at his uncle's uh his 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 parents have died he's an orphan he arrives at his uncle's house it's about um 1813 or something like that and um he's being taken in and he's like oh so grateful you know it's like everybody's so nice to him da 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 um you know his uncle's a bit weird you know he's a scholar he uh, he apparently uh, is is very up on knowledge about the ancient pagan Greeks. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, and and he tends to like pop out at various times and ask him how old he is. No, really, you're 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 almost twelve. Almost twelve. Yes. It 
will that be in a year? Oh, well, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we'll have to do something special for you then. Meanwhile, over this year where he's, you know, waiting to, you know, have this special night with his uncle for, for yeah. one reason or another. Um, that sounds so wrong when you say it. It sounds <laughs> extraordinarily wrong. And I, there is no implication of this, except perhaps in my, my own perverse mind. Um, but no, uh, he hears that there have been at least two other children who have been taken into this household, both of whom disappeared. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. one one of them was uh, was a uh, guy who played the Udi Gudi on the streets, you know, yes. and so you know he so he he probably ran away. You know, Giovanni was his name. One of them foreign types, you know, yes. He, yes. and the other one was a, a girl named Phoebe who was of gypsy extraction. So yes. you. Know, she was probably taken by the gypsies, taken back with, you know, and yeah, <laughs> taken very... away by them, you know. But, uh, yeah, they're just not there anymore. And meanwhile, our hero starts to have these dreams where he'll be looking at the... He gets up in the middle of the night and looks out the window and there are, like, two kids, a girl and a boy, standing, sort of looking up hungrily <laughs> at the house, <laughs> you know. Or, you know, with their uh, with their long fingernails and their, you know, rents in their in their yeah. shirts, you know, where perhaps something has been taken out. And, yes. <laughs> and uh, you know, that that amazing dream that he has of seeing one of them in a disused bathroom in, yes. an, in an old tin bathtub, you know, yes. it's like uh, with its dusty fingers laid against its lips. Yeah. You know, and this uh, this goes exactly where you think it's going to go, which is, yeah. oh, did the uncle do something to these kids? Well, thankfully, he cannot do the same thing to his uh, to his nephew because the ghosts that yeah. uh, that psychic portion of <laughs> yeah. that uh, that he dismisses as having no power over him uh, as a hermetic ma magician. Yeah. I mean, um, another thing which he's in which um, Mr. Abley, the, the, I mean, certainly in his own, because we as we get to the end, he's he's, got, he's left a document which details, which basically mm -hmm. here is my fiendish plan, kind of, you know, as mm -hmm. it were. But it's kind of, um, you know, and to him, it's not a fiendish plan. To him, it's like, well, you yeah. know, if if he, you have to do this, then you have to do it. I mean, come on. He has, but I mean, his his mentality towards it is that this is perfectly justified because these people are are lesser. Um, yes. in some way you know he's he dislikes using the word victim uh or, or um or, the, or that uh, or that dislikes the term murdered being used to apply to how simon magus was able to fly through the air with the aid of a spirit of a child he'd he'd, he'd done it he had um, you know it, it, in in some libelous fashion murdered yeah and, it, and this is a profoundly anti-christian point of view absolutely yeah i mean that's that's why it's it's said that he specializes in the study of the pagan Greeks because exactly. he's he's an animist. He's the kind of person who uh, believes that it's perfectly fine to consume other people's lives. Yeah, if you are of a superior kind of bent, whereas on a Christian level, this sort of the idea of one every human soul is of equal. Every human life, every human soul is of equal importance to God in that exactly. particular, in a 
Christian worldview is in the worldview that we have to assume that James would have yeah. um that we presume James would have would have been in sync with, which interestingly enough is kind of like quite a toss in it, the sort of the paganistic, but it's kind of quite interesting. Or go thinking of Macken and yeah. how that attitude turns up in it turns up in the attitude in the Great God Pan and the attitude of the surgeon. Yeah, he's basically well, I saved I saved Mary, you know, uh, Mary thinks the girl's name he operates yeah, on yeah Mary. from dying of the, so I believe her life is mine to dispose of as I see fit. I'm pretty sure that and, and, all, and also that. she loves she loves him so she's like yeah absolutely you yeah know? but the inmost light which I think are often overlooked back in the story um mm -hmm. has a similar has a similar thing where the doctor's wife agrees to let him do this operation on her of course you can you know you're my I'm your, you're my husband you can do whatever you like kind of thing yeah Even and it's sort of like he takes out her soul it's sort of like yeah. he removes her soul which somehow is is located inside her head so yeah and it's a and it's a crystal you know yeah, this beautiful crystal and i must admit when i read the title the inmost light i assumed it was going to be one of macken's more you know sort of um yeah. you know uh, gentler kind of more more more, more go towards the inmost light no it's like this you know it's like i took yeah. out her soul here it is nice huh yes, it's too bad she's like a fucking fiend now but you know <laughs> yeah, the autopsy, the guy does the autopsy, says that brain was not a human brain, it was the brain of a devil. Yes. Whatever the brain of the devil may actually resemble. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Again and, and you're sort of like, how do you know? But it's it's as though she's become like this, this horrifying um, zombie, but like ravenous and awful. And, you know, like you, you get the feeling that she's she's impossible to be around because she just wants to destroy everything yeah 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 i mean yeah when it came to the, yeah macken didn't really have any kind of aversion to uh, the idea of just bumping women off did he um, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know they're treating their lives as quite disposable i mean yeah when you think of the end of the great god pan it's like yes. you know the guy's got no you know it's like it's never suggested there's anything wrong with this idea that i'm going to be judge jury and execution if necessary and well, you know, on the other hand, is Helen, you know, is Helen a person? You know, it's well, like, yes. yeah, she she looks like a woman. <laughs> Incidentally, if you've not if you if you're not familiar with it, I, I strongly recommend Roseanne Rabinowitz's novel uh, novella Helen's Story, which yes. picks up from Helen Vaughan's point of view in the present day, where she basically says, "Yeah, right. Yeah, I really thought I was just going to go and do my going to go and do myself in just because he said so." I mean, what the fuck? Ridiculous. I remember thinking. Even, I think I remember even at the time when I read it, it's like, okay, so she's this like demonic, you know, this, this terrifying creature yeah. who can make, you know, people yeah. go insane by essentially, as far as I can tell, devolving and then evolving back again. Presumably when they're on the job with her, perhaps. I don't know. Um, I do remember a discussion with uh, her about uh, with Joel Lane about um, um, Lovecraft's The Thing on the Doorstep and, you know, speculating on the sex lives of Azanath, of, Az of Edward and Azanath. Um, and, you know, did she, uh, did she ever flip them round when they were uh, in, the, in bed I kind know, of thing? I know, I know. Yes, and, and people now, of course, when, uh, when they're playing with that part of the Lovecraftian mythos, you know, it's like, let's see how far we can go with that. Yeah. Um, Carrie Laban does some great, great stuff with that in uh, A Hawk in the Woods. Um, okay. Yeah, which is very much based around that particular story. 
I'd have to check that because I've, I've I've long had sort of some ideas and some notes jotted down in the in the back of a back of my brain somewhere for uh, you know sort of uh, writing a sort of story from Asenath Waite's point of view. Um, but um, I better make sure I'm not uh, I haven't been I haven't been beaten to beaten too much to the punch here. Um. <laughs> well, I th I think there were about three people who chose to do Asenath Waite stories for Cthulhu's daughters. Uh, uh, daughters. Yeah, yeah, Cthulhu's daughters. Um, so, yeah, check it out. Um, yes, it's I'll worth it. At at any rate, the point being that um, back to James. <laughs> back to James. Um, so we've got this this sort of back and forth between uh, the very physical world and the sort of you know and and people allowing themselves to think well we can map the physical world so so beautifully and so scientifically now that maybe good and evil don't exist anymore maybe there is no good or bad maybe there is no you know maybe there is no right or wrong yeah more than good or bad right or wrong maybe there is no right or wrong and then being sort of like bitch slapped by yes <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and not bitch slapped in a God out of the machine kind of way, because it's not like, you know, God comes down and goes, you just stop doing that. It's more like, no, no, seriously, yeah. there are things you shouldn't fuck with. There are things you shouldn't look at. There are things you shouldn't do. And I would think that you were smart enough to know this yourself because you are. An academic or an antiquarian or a, you know. <laughs> yes. It kind of goes back to what we were discussing in the first podcast about how um, a great deal of supernatural fiction involves people crossing a line, some are crossing a boundary. Absolutely. And, and I think, I, I, mean, I remember reading an essay on on James where, you know, you could, you could basically, I think, I think it said you could have basically two or three rules which, um, you know, um, which all the characters, which the characters usually end up breaking, uh, which is don't meddle with things you don't understand. Being one of the, uh, yeah. you know, and um, uh, I mean, not always, of course. Um, in the case of the cast of casting the runes, uh, the, uh, the the main character's only offence has been to uh, to say, well, I think this is an absolute load of horseshit, and incur the wrath of an extremely vindictive individual with uh, yeah, an extremely vindictive speech. individual who has himself gone too far. Yes. This yes. is this is the thing, you know, he um, you know, the that particular character, the character from from casting the runes um, thinks of himself again as a hermetic magician. And yeah. it's like the most it, it really is like that. It's a holdover from, I don't know, like the late 1600s, the early 1700s, where you had a lot of scientific knowledge suddenly coming up, but people also believed the most heinous bullshit at the same time. And there was no way of telling the heinous bullshit from the scientific knowledge. You know, people yes. still believed in humors. People still believed that, you know, women's wombs bounced around inside their bodies and, you know. <laughs> You're like, yeah, this does not happen. This does really it's like, not happen. No, no. You know, so, um, uh, I mean, and again, you know. Possibly, it, Republicans in America possibly still think they do. Very beautifully um, put across uh, this this type of sort of pseudoscience 
where it's almost like a mingling, a commingling of magic and science. Um, yeah. Is very beautifully put put across in Nigel Neal's um, play, uh, screenplay originally, teleplay originally, and now the BBC has done a wonderful radio adaptation of it with Mark Gatiss um, of The Road, uh, where you run up against, you know, a person who is a thoroughgoing scientist, but he's a scientist in the same way that he's a zealot. And then running up against a person who is an absolute rationalist and only believes in what he can see and what he can feel. And yeah. that, who then sees and feels something that he cannot prove at all. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. realizes that the scientific zealotry of the other person is eventually going to lead to this terrible thing happening in the future. Yeah. yeah, the um, I mean, I remember a novel I was just working on last year had a uh, I was researching uh, characters like John B, the uh, yeah. magician who was uh, he was a you know who was actually a scientist and an astronomer of some yeah. of, a mathematician of some note, but also uh, an occultist. But of course, all of these things were areas of study. I mean, if you yeah. if you remember if you remember Marlowe's play Doctor Faustus, he's looking at the different sort of areas of science he's looking at physics you know medicine he's looking at uh, justinian which is the the law um mm -hmm. div and divinity is one of the other is one of the other subjects all he goes for magic because that can actually take him beyond what he already this circumscribed pool of knowledge that that we already we already have but again divinity the study of 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 the stuff I mean, people, people still Took more or less. A lot of people still believe yeah. that you know yeah, there, there was a soul, there was a god, there were angels, there were there was all sorts of yeah, like stuff. the spheres was, of the universe, you know, and yeah, how still, and how do they act upon each other, you know? Yeah, um, we, very little difference between astronomy and astrology, for example. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of overlap. People were still trying to work work stuff out, and get, when all you've got is again you. You've got what you've got. You've got what people have concluded in the past who believed in their own gods and all the rest of it. So you're mm -hmm. kind of you're kind of piecing it together, and it was all this. Yeah, it was all very much. So a, you know, so in a way, uh, James is crossing over into Machin territory here, and basically yeah. saying that you know, if you tell yourself that you should be able to use power just because you have it, just because you've mastered it. Yeah. Um, and therefore, and therefore, you know, it is up to you to say what's right is that I should use it any way I see fit. Yeah. And what's wrong is that I should master it and then never use it. Then you yeah. are a Machin-like type of sinner. You are going yeah. against the natural order of the universe. And, yeah. um, you know, even, even this thing that, uh, you know, he, he, he wrote... Uh, much later in his in his life, he wrote a very brief story called "The Malice of Inanimate Objects," yes, which I, yes. I think actually um, is something that um, explains a lot of the charge of 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 James when he really gets going, you know, because it it is all about the the malice of inanimate objects. It's, oh, God, it's yeah. about the malice yeah. of a sheep or the malice of a of a flute or the you know the malice of a bag that doesn't that isn't actually a bag you know <laughs> you 
you know, um, the, uh, the malice of a bolster that isn't actually a bolster. Um, oh. Yes. And, you know, uh, but a lot of it is also about your or, or the malice. Yeah. The malice of a crown. I, I think I began with. Um, the um, warnings to the curious. Exactly. You know, I mean, with both that and with Count Magnus, there is this thing of, you know, there is of the 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 consequences that fall upon the person for their transgression uh, yeah. go way above and beyond, you know, anything certainly, and uh, or certainly go um, go above and beyond the sort of the actual the act itself. Um, yeah. And most frighteningly, of course, there is no there's no forgive there's no forgiveness for it. Once uh, what Mr. what can Hansen, one do Mr. but lock the door and cry to God? Yeah, and in um, and in, God in, doesn't answer, and that's yeah. that's the interesting thing. You expect that because he's such a religious dude. That there will be a lot of, you know, it's like I, I went to a priest and the priest helped me, you know, yeah. no, it's it's actually you have to think your way out of these things a lot of the time. Yes. And sometimes yes. you can't think your way out of these things. No, and sometimes I mean, they just. You're just standing by and watching them happen, as in the mezzotint, which, you know, yes. um, is just about a mezzotint that changes every time you look away from it. And it tells a little story. And at the end, you know something that you didn't know before, but nothing that you do can alter yeah. the, the, the function of the mezzotint. You know, it's yeah. like, um, it's not like you can ever save that child. It's not like you can ever, you know, it's not like you learning what happened, you know, has any real um reckoning on anything it's just it's it's just sort of like something reaching out from the past and going let me transmit the awfulness yeah of this of this thing to you and uh yeah now now you now i'm done you can sell me or you know put me in a closet or something I think they burn it, don't they, in the story? I think they do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would burn it. I would definitely burn it. And it's always stuff like that. It's always stuff like, you know, oh, I found this uh, wallpaper sample in a... <laughs> yes. <laughs> this old wallpaper sample in a in a book that I, that I picked up at a sale. And, you know, my aunt <laughs> decided that it was such a beautiful pattern, she would have new wallpaper made. But the wallpaper was based on a uh, dead man's hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, yeah, that's a great idea. And fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, and, and we just get this creepy fucking haunting, which really just goes down to every time I touch the wallpaper, it feels like hair. <laughs> and it sort of feels more and more like hair. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to get smothered by all this hair. Let's just get rid of the wallpaper, OK? Yeah. That's it. That's the whole thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's all it, because it is somebody kind of... stole somebody's wig when they were dead. No, no. Somebody stole like... somebody's hair and made it into a wig when they were dead. Yes. <laughs> it is just like that kind of like this. This it's a lot of it. Sometimes it is just that kind of kind of chaos kind of uh, yeah. intruding. Um without a great necessarily a, a great deal of rhyme and reason i mean um 
I was thinking a little of some of Burridge's stories, um, which Burridge. Burridge. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, very underrated, right? Quite different in many ways from 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 James. But I mean, the, it, it, one thing because he was he was a staunch Catholic, right. uh, and it comes up in quite a, in a few of his stories where they will uncover, you know, the remains of some victim, and it's like, well, there is nothing we can do because the the person who who caused this has gone has gone on to their has already gone on to their punishment That's nobody right. nobody no no nobody could do anything for this child now just you know, just bury them decently kind of thing yeah. um which is a kind of similar to the it's sort of sort of similar to the mess well different similar but different to the mezzotint in that in that respect um that yes you've got this information but there's fuck all you can do about it yeah, well, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I guess this is one of the uh, one of the big problems with being an antiquarian is that you're always discovering stuff that's already happened. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, I, did, I don't know if you know um, Robert Westall's collection, Antique Dust. It's one of his, his only yeah. collection of stuff for, 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 for adult readers. But it's kind of like through the, the whole premises, it's telling the story through an antique dealer who, by the sheer nature of his job, Will come into comes into contact with all these potentially haunted items. It's a wonderful. There's a wonderful line where he says, "I've known more evil in a set of false teeth uh, than in all the so-called haunted houses in England." Um, but he again, that's a very, very Jamesian collection in most respects. He, you know, he acknowledged it. He, he actually dedicated the collection to the memory of M. R. James, that most economical of writers who could coax fear out of an old blanket. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true, and. I don't know, maybe it has something to do with the fact that the stuff that we own and the stuff that we interact with um, takes on some of our personality, you know. Um, I do believe that, you know, if I was dead and people came to my condo and were looking around, they could certainly learn a lot about me from the things that I have, (laughs) It's like, oh, she likes to read scary stories, and she's got this weird little house made of resin over here. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to have to have one of those little bracelets that says, please delete my browser history. Um, Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, oh, you know, did did she paint all these creepy looking... Yeah, she did. (laughs) Yes, she did. Yes. Why do you you have a, a... why do you have a cup with stars inside of it? Well, <laughs> you know, but um, but at the same time, yeah, there is this there is this feeling that um, even uh, that every action that you make, um, every choice implies a choice, and every choice that you make is either for or against the tide of how things should be, you know, for or against to some degree, I guess the force of God, you know, if you, if you believe that, you know, the world is, you know, the physical world is like a manifestation of God, that God is not only made everything, but is in everything, then to some degree, any action that you decide upon any choice that you make, any act you decide to do, um, is either cooperating with this world or, and and building upon it, or not cooperating with it and destroying part of it. 
it's almost like, it's almost like I mean, I remember a friend of mine talking about Taoism, the idea that you know, the universe has a sort of um, an idea of a flow, a direction yeah. in which it goes, oh, and you, and, you know, you, it has, a, it has basically, there's basically something, it has, you know, there's basically a direction you should be going in. And if you, if you go along with that, you'll be fine or you'll be better off anyway. But if you go against it, then that will cause problems for you because yeah. you're kind of creating a conflict and that, uh, that conflict. Yeah. And that um, there, there is this real sense of balance and, you know, and a sense of justice, justice and injustice. Yeah. You know, that if uh, if wrong is done, then justice should eventually, you know, come to balance that out. Um, yeah. And if injustice is practiced, then it invites well, the nature that, that justice can. I mean, like I say, in the warning to the curious, even though um, he the guy tries to um, he Paxton tries to redress what he's done and replace the crown. It's still not enough to save him. But yeah, he, he knows it's not enough. He knew it like the second that he the second that he indulged his obsession yeah and the second that he touched this object of veneration this um this old saxon crown you yeah. know one of the one of the three crowns of england that yeah. are supposed to stay where they are and to um protect england from invasion which is a fascinating idea um, yeah, I think entirely James's invention, sadly, as far as I can well, tell. Well, I, I seem to recall that Ivar the Boneless supposedly died in England and he caused himself to be um, buried upright in his barrow, wherever that was, it, looking towards the coast so that if another army came to conquer England, which he considered to be his, yeah. um, he would erupt out of the earth and, you know, <laughs> and do something about it. Um, although, you know, let's face it, the the, the person who eventually uh, came to conquer England after Ivar was uh, one of the, you know, descended from one of his relatives. Yes, yes, so. William, the <laughs> William the Bastard. This is a long conversation and perhaps we should spare our listeners <laughs> and break it right here. So um, having talked about James-ishness for quite some time, um, we thought that it would be smart to make a second episode um, in which we talk about Jamesians, uh, both contemporaries of James um, who uh, admired him and were making some effort perhaps to write James-ishness into their own stuff. Um, and more recent uh, writers that in, in which we, we find patterns of Jamesy in this. Um, so there you are. Uh, what did you think? Let us know in the comments below. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please hit the like and share buttons. And you can find us on YouTube, Stitcher, Anchor and SoundCloud. And if you want to support the podcast, you can always make a one-off donation over at our Ko-fi page or subscribe on our Patreon for access to exclusive content and get the heads up on what's coming next by finding us on Twitter or checking out our website at nodarknessbatars.wixsite.com slash podcast. Okay. Second in the bag. <laughs> okay, so I have been Simon Bestwick and... and then I have been Gemma Files, and this has been 
No darkness, no darkness but ours. Yes.